All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a special guest, Daniel Gartenberg. Daniel is a cognitive psychologist with expertise in sleep, AI, and preventative health. Dr. Gartenberg is currently an adjunct assistant professor at Penn State and CEO of Sleep Space, where one of his roles is the principal investigator on phase two SBIR grants from the National Science Foundation and National Institutes of Health. Daniel has three patents, tens of peer-reviewed publications, and his technology has been featured on TED.com, The Today Show, Gizmodo, Discoveries, and Breakthroughs Inside Science, DC Inno, APA Magazine, Apartment Therapy, Sleep Review Magazine, Entrepreneur.com, Business Insider, Lonely Planet, and App Picker. Quite an impressive resume there you got, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Very long-winded. Hope it sounded impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what, what initially drew you to sleep research? Like what did you always know that you wanted to be a, a sleep scientist or what, what originally brought you into the field? Yeah, it was really a combination of a couple things. I, growing up from a family of people in the healthcare space, I saw first, you know, from a firsthand perspective, how broken our medical system is. Uh, my dad is an infectious disease doctor and my mom is a nurse and my grandma is a psychologist. So I kind of saw the gamut of how our healthcare system could possibly be better um, if it was more focused on the individual. Um, and, you know, just the insurance companies came in in the 90s and really messed up a lot of uh, the doctor's autonomy and whatnot. And I remember growing up and my dad telling me, son, don't become a doctor, basically. Um, and uh, at the same time, I you know, believe in changing human consciousness and elevating humanity. And I see health, the healthcare system as the pathway to that, so let's try to break, to fix this broken system. And through a serendipitous chain of events, I was actually working for a brainstorming company when I was an undergrad. And I came across an invention for uh, using an alarm clock app to measure your sleep. And when I started peeling back the uh, science of sleep, it's almost like an onion where that an infinitely complicated onion. And um, I'm a very curious person. And so I just kind of went on this rabbit hole of sleep science for the, for the last 15 years. Um, and since sleep is the thing that we do the most of the human behavior, essentially that we do the most of, the reason why it impacts everything is because we do it so much, if we can just improve that even a little bit, think of the implications it could have. And that's a lot of people see that dream and I'm just following through with it as well. Right, right. So talk to me about, um, in terms of like the science behind sleep, what, Tell me about kind of the different sleep stages, what's going on in the brain, uh, and what, what, uh, what needs to actually happen in order to get a restful night's sleep. So, so this is why it's one of the last frontiers. You know, when I think of the frontiers, I think of outer space, the microbiome, and human consciousness. And sleep is part of human consciousness that we really still don't fundamentally understand. 
we only really dissected the four main stages of sleep about 70 years ago when we identified REM. I mean, we knew about dreaming for a while, but really the physiological aspects of sleeping in REM where you're paralyzed and um, you know, your eyes are moving around your head in rapid eye movement and you're dreaming. Um, the, what points to how much we don't understand about this in part is the fact that Americans have four stages of sleep. Europeans, if you follow how they classify sleep, they actually have five. They have an, an extra distinction between um, phases of deep sleep, essentially. Um, but now, when you really look at some of the nuances of sleep, when you do um, some big data analysis with machine learning, some researchers have said that there's as many as 19 stages of sleep. Um, and even within the stages of sleep, there's quite a bit of comp, um, features and complications as well. And, um, you know, th that really is showing how complicated sleep is. But generally speaking, what we do know is it follows this pattern, light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep REM throughout the course of the night. When you start out the cycles, you usually get more deep sleep. And then later on, you usually get more REM. And the main theory for why we sleep is something called the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis, which is um, kind of a mouthful and sounds really complicated and sciencey, but really all it is is during the day, we have all this excitatory connections. And in order to process that information such that we're not remembering everything we don't need to remember, you sort of down-regulate and recover your body in deep sleep. And then you replay um, those events from the day that are relevant to your survival in REM, and you integrate those into your long-term consciousness and personality. Um, so that's not my theory. That's a famous researcher named uh, Juliana, Juliana, sorry if I say the name wrong, Tononi, um, from University of Wisconsin. And um, that's, that's kind of the cutting edge science, but there's a lot more that we're discovering even the last 10 years that I'd love to tell you more about. Absolutely. So I know, and you've kind of focused, uh, at least from the TED Talk that I saw that you gave, it was focused on deep sleep. And I know you, you kind of mentioned uh, or talked about the delta brain waves and their importance in terms of deep sleep. Can you kind of uh, take me through that? Yeah, so your delta brain waves are what classify deep sleep, basically. So sleep is defined usually in 30-minute segments called epochs. And if you have basically more than 10 seconds of that um, epoch, I think it's either 10 or 20, classified as delta waves, which are these long wavelength brain waves. Um, and those are what is associated with memory consolidation. They've done these really cool experiments where they'll selectively inhibit your deep sleep and you won't remember what you learned the previous day as well, for example. But also things like cell recovery and human growth hormone. We also you know, are seeing recent evidence that um, since it's related to cell recovery, it basically cleans out various plaques in your brain. It's like, it's a, you know, as you know, probably even more than, more than I do, because I'm coming at it from a, 
um, cognitive science perspective. And I don't necessarily know the anatomy as well as I think you probably do. But, um, you know, it's how we, it's deep sleep is how we clean out um, toxins in our brain, essentially. And recent evidence is showing that that's related to developing Alzheimer's disease, actually. And so we, we have our grant funding through the National Institute of Aging, in part to show that by addressing older folks' insomnia and making them sleep deeper, we can actually reduce their conversion to Alzheimer's disease because deep sleep, regenerative sleep, is related to the expression of tau pathology and basically um, conversion to Alzheimer's disease. And that's the focus of the uh, next clinical trial that we're about to run. Awesome. Well, tell me about, so what are, what are some of the things, because I know just from, from reading your, your kind of background, you've played around with all the different sleep trackers and, and different sleep hacks. So what are, what are some of the things that either improve deep sleep or uh, hurt the, the quality of deep sleep we get? Yeah, I mean, so part of this is, you know, I like to think about it as there's always that one thing that you that each person can do that might be a little bit unique to them, that um, is going to be the thing that's going to help them most with their deep sleep. And some, sometimes what I, what I mean by that, and it's hard to give generic information sometimes in the sleep science world, because, you know, if you're someone that can't sleep, for example, um, you know, you shouldn't take a power nap during the day. You should try to consolidate your sleep. Whereas if you're an optimizer, um, you know, you might want to take a power nap during the day. So it kind of depends on the person. So first and foremost, step one, this is how I think about it. Um, make sure you're getting enough sleep. Step one, before you try to optimize your deep sleep or do anything like this, the Evidence shows scientifically, if you want to do all these things to improve your health outcomes and bodybuilders have used this for decades, you know, they'll get that extra nap in in the middle of the day. And, you know, Einstein and famous thinkers have known this too. When you get that extra sleep, it's a ideation process. And when we look at the population statistics, at least 30% of the population is not sleeping enough. So step one, make sure you're sleeping enough. Um, some simple tricks to doing that is just asking yourself, you shouldn't be tired during the day, essentially. Um, I don't know, so many times with some of my sleep consultations, I'll just get people, sort of like a fish in a fishbowl doesn't know it's in water. Once you're used to like seven hours of sleep a day, you think that that's fine. Um, and then um, sometimes you only need seven hours. And, Many people only need seven, and there's things you can do to get less, but um, um, sometimes you just get an extra half hour, and it's like you realize that your body actually did need that. So step one, get enough. Step two, make it efficient. So you should spend about 90% of the time in bed asleep. Um, and so if that's a problem, you have to address that. Step three is finally when I get to your question, which is um, what would you do to make it deeper? So, you know, I play with a lot of these things. One of the things that have shown to make it deeper is aligning your circadian rhythm. So the more that system circadian rhythm is aligned, so you're getting those cues during the day of sunlight, 
which is so hard to do now. And I have a happy lamp to simulate this. And I've created these custom lighting environments with my software sleep space um, where you know, we can measure your circadian rhythm and then suggest to you light exposure times based on that, for example. Um, you know, there's supplements you can take to also entrench that rhythm. Obviously, you probably know some of Dave's uh, sleep mode stuff that has um, that right dosage of melatonin and some magnesium, I think, and a couple other things. Um, you know, warm baths is something that Matthew Walker, I think, has, has suggests in his, he is actually, a, a, you know, as you know, his book, but also he has some academic articles where he gets into some things around. And then what my research is on is finally, is uh, deep sleep stimulation. So, you know, when we brought people into our lab at Penn State, we had a sleep tech stay up all night and uh, look at people's brain waves. And then we systematically played various sounds to them throughout the night. And what's so fascinating about sleep is sort of touching consciousness. So um, it's like a tightrope walk. If you touch it too much, if you push it too hard, it'll, the rope will snap and you'll wake the person up and you'll do more harm than good. And that's always the danger, the tricky part about a technology like this. But like, as I said, with the 19 stages of sleep, for example, they think a lot of the bang for the buck there is in these transitional hypnagogic stages. Um, where there's actually a lot of complexity and it's these brief flashes of consciousness um, that you could almost um, insert um, things into like sound stimulation and vibrational stimulation that at the same pattern uh, as these certain brain waves or your heart rate. Um, and then you can entrench these either relaxing states or these regenerative delta waves. And in our lab study, be and we published a paper on this um, that you can check out. Um, I'll post a link to it in the show notes um, in a peer-reviewed journal. Um, so first we made an algorithm that worked on any wearable that could accurately measure sleep because uh, you need to know the stage first. So like our Apple Watch algorithm I think is the most accurate for measuring sleep. And then the sleep tech played these sounds um, in the deep sleep stage and we showed we can have more delta waves but we couldn't show that we can improve next day cognition, um, which is really what we wanted to show. And that's what every sleep product should be trying to show. I mean, it's one thing to um, you know, say you're improving deep sleep and stuff, but what you really wanna do is get people to perform better the next day. And sorry if I'm rambling, feel free to interrupt me at any time. Um, but that's my long-winded answer. <laughs> okay, so so that kind of surprised you a bit. So you, you guys were able to improve uh, the delta waves or, or increase the amount of delta waves. Was it was it the uh, I guess getting a little um, nerdy in terms of with the was it increasing like the amplitude or frequency of the delta waves? Like what what specifically were the sounds able to do? Yeah, so you can check out the paper. We're increasing the overall like delta spectrum frequency um, compared to a baseline sham. Um, okay, and it, so it kind of surprised you guys that 
despite being able to to improve the the delta uh, frequency that there wasn't uh, you, you guys expected there to be cognitive benefits from doing that the next day we hypothesized cognitive benefits I, mean, I have to say i wasn't terribly surprised it's um there's very few studies that have shown cognitive benefits to things besides increasing sleep amount. Um, so I knew that that was a reach. Um, I, you know, when you conduct good science, if you're doing things that you thought would always work, you know, it wouldn't be good science. I, I take some risks and we knew that it was a harder thing to show. Um, next day cognitive improvements, but we learned a lot from the algorithm and now we're leveraging that in a new way for our next study. Um, and we think that we can actually deliver these vibrational pulses to both relax people when using biofeedback, when they're having you know, some anxiety and not able to fall asleep and they're doing a, a meditation. I'd, I'd love your feedback on some of the heart rate based biofeedback. I think you know a lot about yeah, I, I've definitely seen some research like with heart rate variability um, training. So the recent, the recent research has shown that, um, and this is a, rev, this is a uh, very recent paper, that I can actually um, measure your heart rate and then play some stimulation to you sort of in sync with that and sort of bring your heart rate down. Um, so we're about to implement that aspect in, in the next phase and then really work with clinicians to deliver these customized um, sleep challenges to people that will systematically go through how they can improve and how every person can improve their sleep quality. Whether they're an insomniac who maybe doesn't wanna wear all these wearables, um, so they just have like the device placed by their uh, bedstand, or if they're you know a biohacker like me who's sleeping with an aura ring and you know, an Apple watch. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to bring together all of those devices and actually change consciousness while we're sleeping, whether it's through the deep sleep stim or stuff with lucid dreaming or stuff with relaxing you before sleep. And then finally, and we call this your sleep journey with waking you up in a lighter sleep phase. Um, and that's just with a gentle alarm that goes with the sunlight as well, with the smart light bulb. Okay. We're, uh, going back to the, the deep sleep stimulation, were there uh, like self-reported benefits or any other measures that you guys tested that did improve so um, one after thing, increasing? One thing that was important from this objective data was that people didn't, weren't conscious of the stimulation. So um, we actually had another condition where we tried to disrupt people's sleep. Um, the reason why we did that is we also wanted to understand not only how sounds can enhance sleep, but also how things like noise pollution disrupt sleep. So that's why I should have said this to you earlier. Um, one of the first things I recommend for everyone is to have some sound masking technology in their bedroom. Um, you know, I use this dynamic pink noise mask to block out a wide range of frequencies. But basically what we showed is um, how, you know, things like a siren at night or um, snoring, for example, 
can negatively impact your sleep quality. And you can address that by having um, a, a pink noise or white noise to, or a fan even to round out the sound. Um, and so people noticed us playing those disruptive sounds, but they didn't perceive the deep sleep stimulation at all. And so that was um, an important thing. But um, subjectively, usually you would get objective differences before you would get subjective differences, honestly. Um, so, you know, measuring your cognition on something called a psychomotor vigilance task is sort of, and, um, and measuring your declarative memory on something as called a paired association task um, it, are, are the main outcomes that we were interested in improving. We did show, I think, some improvements in the psychomotor vigilance task, but it wasn't enough to really hang your hat on. Um, sure. Yeah. Talk to me about like how does how, like things like you know they, uh, the popular uh, sort of I don't I don't know if it's true or not as far as I'd like to ask you as far as like with exercise in terms of you know they say don't exercise close to uh, going to sleep. I've actually found that it seems like a hard workout at night when I like to work out actually will help me fall asleep better and I'll feel like I had a deeper night of sleep. Is there so any? I think, oh, so I think this is why the media has had, a, and I'm glad you asked that question. And I, I think this really points to how the media sometimes does a really crummy job of actually articulating what's good for people because people are so different. Um, so I think that advice comes from someone is basically directed at someone who has insomnia. You know, if you're someone who has problems falling asleep, um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend stimulating yourself like by you know, take exercising close to nighttime because it can throw off your circadian rhythm basically. Um, but if you, the main thing about the circadian rhythm is really consistency. Um, so if you consistently, if you don't have problems falling asleep and you consistently work out at a similar time every day, um, and obviously working out for a lot might be better than not working out, when you work out, you're naturally going to get more deep sleep that next day. It's one of the best things that you can do to get deep sleep the next day. Um, so maybe the fact that you worked out in and of itself outweighed um, the negative impact that it could have. Um, so I would just say the consistency of it is the most important thing. And so when you're making that decision on when to work out, I would be factoring in whether I'm a more, if I'm trying to shift myself to be a morning person or a night owl. And I plan my whole, you know, work schedule around that, some of those things too. And I've actually been able to shift it back and forth with, by doing things like changing my meal time and exercise time. Okay. And what you mentioned right there, uh, meal time, that's actually what I was going to uh, talk to you about next. I wanted to ask about, you know, diet and sleep. You know, something I've, I've directly noticed is, you know, if I have like a big, you know, pizza, say at night, you know, if I have a lot of carbs, I'll notice that, you know, the next day I'll wake up, you know, feeling a bit groggy. 
like I didn't get that sort of restful deep sleep is that a common thing people experience and and if so kind of what's going on there I mean so I I think that certain foods could for me personally I've experienced that and for me it's a lot of times acid reflux related um so and and that's why it goes to you know so many people have different reasons for this stuff I'm not sure I think um certain um, sugary foods have been shown to be associated with nightmares and bad dreams. And that could also be something that disturbs sleep. Um, you know, that's why we try to like help people have relaxing dreams by prepping them for bed. Cause if you have bad nightmares, you can pop awake and that can make you have a, a poor night of sleep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just having a healthier diet and uh, like a, a re regular meals, essentially. Um, you know, I've tried things with like, you have to be careful with intermittent fasting a little bit. Because um, when you do that, um, just be aware, you could be, you're usually biasing yourself to be like very much heavy a night person or very much heavily a morning person. And so you want to make sure you're, um, if you're only eating in the morning, you should probably be exercising in the, towards the morning too. Whereas if you, if you're, if you're making the choice to intermittent fast later, it's, and I think Dave is coming out with a new, Dave Asprey is coming out with a whole book about this right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I talked to him a little while ago, uh, last week, actually. Yeah. We, we, we discussed that. Um, and the other thing I know he talked about in the book and something that I've noticed related to, to fasting, you know, say like doing a 24, 36 hour fast. I don't know if you've played around with, with fasting much, but I've noticed that it definitely like improves the, like, I, I feel like I need less sleep. Like I'll wake up and that's what he talks about in the book, uh, as far as like needing less sleep and then waking up feeling more refreshed, you know, during that fasted period. Have you played around much with fasting? So, I mean, so I played around with fasting for, I, I mainly just did like a 16 hour fast, not typically a full 24 hour fast. Um, I was doing that for a while when I was living by myself. And then I sort of got into this habit though, sometimes of eating too much for my dinner meal. And I would like overload my system basically. Um, so I sort of weaned off of it and started doing more um, three meals a day, but smaller, um, but compressed over like an eight hour period. So it's not like a full fast really. And then no snacks around that. Um, that's just where I'm at right now. But honestly, I'm like, um, I'll sleep a lot. I'm in like a I'm actually, I'm comfortable with being in a sleeping a lot phase right now in different times in my life. I'll, um, you know, try to sort of cut the time a little bit more, but I'm not like, I'm trying to recover a lot now, especially with like COVID and everything going on. So I'm like biasing a little more towards just like sleeping to effect. Um, that's how my professor words it a lot of times. Um, that being said, I think a lot of what Dave does to require less sleep is by activating this circadian rhythm. Like when I'm in my like exercise high efficiency mode, 
And I'm sure Dave is like in that mode at all times, probably like, I'm just like not there. Um, and I, I know where I'm at and I think it's important that people know where they're at too. Um, you know, you can optimize the circadian rhythm to require less sleep um, by things like the fasting. I don't doubt it. Um, and, you know, getting the sunlight at the right time and really hitting the timing of your meals and exercise. You start needing less sleep for sure when you're a healthier specimen. The science on that is not clear yet, but I'm guessing that that is the case. Got it feels it. like that's the case. So I want to transition a little bit and talking, you know, specifically about uh, your company, um, Sleep Space, and and kind of my understanding, just reading about it, it's kind of based off of that uh, research on on deep sleep stimulation that that we've been talking about throughout our conversation. And you guys, so it's basically a product or an, an app. My understanding that. Uh, can help kind of deliver those same uh, sound bursts to to increase, uh, is it to increase delta waves when people are in those deep sleep stages? Yeah, I mean, but that's just one component of the software. We really are taking a holistic approach to sleep. Like that's like a cool techie nerd thing a little bit. That was a good for Ted and, you know, we, we explored that. But we see sleep improvement much more broadly. And so really what we're trying to do with sleep space is what we're calling ourselves is the first sleep operating system. So we're trying to bring together all of these wearable devices, whether you're an Apple watch person, a aura ring person, um, or if you don't want to wear a track tracker, you know, part of the problem with some of this I mean, aura ring is great, but 50% of people don't even want to sleep with anything, wearing anything at all. Um, and so, you know, having a way to measure you no matter what, basically. So we have, we combine, we use HealthKit to track on various devices and then also have a sleep stage detector on the Apple Watch, um, plus a clinical sleep diary that you could integrate with, with our coaching to give you customized feedback on how to improve your sleep. And then when we think of sounds, it's not just sounds, but it's also temperature and light. Um, so we're trying to optimize these variables for you throughout the night. And for the sounds, we think of a journey as falling asleep, optimizing that, staying asleep with a sound cushion to block out noise pollution and deepening it with the deep sleep stimulation. Um, trying to do some lucid dream stuff. So there's more to come on that. And then waking you up with that final phase, measuring it all giving you your unique circadian rhythm, and then suggesting for you the optimum times to exercise, et cetera, in order to further entrench the rhythm and improve your sleep. Um, that's where we're at right now. And so we have meditations, breath works, you know, lots of things to relax a racing mind, essentially. And then this deep sleep stimulation and the sound masking to try to give you a deeper night of sleep. Awesome. Um, what, what can you say as far as like what, with, with the wearables, do you have any preferences as far as ones you found particularly effective? Cause I've, I've read some, uh, I guess, criticism that, that 
they're not act, uh, accurately measuring the different stages of sleep. Yeah, so we have a very intimate understanding of this, and I'm going to post this in the page notes too. So we took a laboratory, in our laboratory setting that I described to you before, we compared polysomnography, which is gold, which is truth data essentially, with our Apple Watch algorithm or a ring and something called a Philips Spectrum Pro, which is a clinical device. Um, and they're pretty accurate at detecting sleep-wake, but you're right that they're not as accurate as detecting sleep stages. So a lot of times when I'm interpreting the stages of some of these outputs, and I think ours is one of the better ones, but even for when I'm looking at my own deep sleep, I'm usually comparing it from night to night within myself and not necessarily looking too deeply at the raw value. Um, Cause I think there's some relative truth signal, but sometimes like the aura ring and I've had clients uh, with our coaching service that like freak out cause the aura says that they're only getting, you know, five minutes of deep sleep or something and you sort of have to talk them off the ledge a little bit and tell them that it's probably okay. Um, and there's actually a new term for this in the sleep literature called orthosomnia, which is something that we think about a lot when we design our products. And it's the idea that sometimes the data can do more harm than good by giving you anxiety about your sleep. <laughs> and the clinical psychologists have come up with this term orthosomnia for that. Um, so, you know, it gives you relative truth, but you part of the problem is you need basically like probably 20 algorithms for the different populations because people's sleep is very different between people. And so there needs to be like, I'm pretty sure that Aura doesn't have like an older person algorithm versus a younger person. Um, I think Fitbit maybe is a little more sophisticated with it, but from a form factor perspective, like Aura clearly has a advantage. Um, and from a sensing perspective, actually, um, Biostrap has a really good sensor um, for um, measuring things like um, airway stuff more and like a deeper, I think they give you deep, richer data, um, granular data. But, um, you know, I think our Apple Watch algorithm is on par with Aura, at least, if not better. Okay. What, uh, what do you see happening as far as the, the future of both the wearables along with other like sleep technology? Like what, what's going to happen with sleep tracking in, in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Where do you see this, this yes. whole space going? So I've seen this space for like a while now. And we thought 10 years ago in the quantified self movement that these trackers would make a big change in the healthcare system. And I think that's finally happening now. Um, finally, as these devices are maturing and, you know, it's going to come from, we're going to start not just tracking, but in, we're going to move from tracking to enhancing, you know, so getting accurate sleep measurements has sort of been the focus of the 20, 20 of the twenties, I guess, we're in the twenties. Um, but um, I think in the next in the thirties, maybe it's all going to be about enhancing. And I truly believe that we can program our consciousness through sleep so that I can literally 
instead of thinking about the ridiculous things that I take in from the news in my subconscious mind, sleep is how we program our mind. And I think we're gonna start being able to program our own consciousnesses through sleep. Um, and that, that's sort of the dream, pun intended, that I have for the future. Right on. I like the pun there. Um, another topic I wanted to ask you about, what can you tell me about uh, different substances in sleep in terms of like alcohol, nicotine, uh, caffeine, cannabis? Uh, what, what sort of stuff, how do those affect sleep? And are there any specific recommendations you would have as far as either avoiding or timing those different things? Yeah, so, you know, Reduce caffeine in the afternoon if you're having sleep problems. But other than that, I think, you know, people say, sometimes say that caffeine isn't good, but I, but sometimes, but caffeine can be good for, like, I recommend it for my grandma, for example, who need, because it entrenches that morning boost, you know, so, you know, it's good to, you know, put, there's other ways that you can do it. And, um, you know, taking a break from caffeine for a while and coming back to it can help too. But you want that burst of alertness in the morning and caffeine can facilitate that. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. And if it's, if it also varies, people have different, meta their, your metabolism impacts the half-life of caffeine a lot. So if you have a fast metabolism, you can sort of play with having it a little later in the day and it not messing with you too much. Um, so yeah, just cut that back usually by like three ish, you know, I'll have my last cup. Um, but I'll do like three in the morning easily. Um, and then, um, you know, alcohol is just bad, 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 bad. When you look at the data, um, even, I mean, I'll have a drink to sometimes relax in the afternoon, but I know it's not the best. I know having like two is not the best thing. Um, and then, uh, I'm not necessarily like the most strict person, but I, I, sometimes I know what I should be doing and I don't always do what I should be doing. Um, one, the other one you asked about was marijuana and, you know, there's a great deal of evidence that, you know, especially CBD can help relax people. Um, and marijuana can help relax people if you're having problems falling asleep. Um, and if someone's doing that, I understand, um, you know, I do that too, but, uh, I'm always aware of the fact that it also negatively impacts my REM sleep. Um, so I know if I like smoke weed, I essentially need like a half an hour more of sleep, honestly, um, because you're inhibiting your, your REM cycle a little bit when you're doing that. Um, that's another thing that if you wanted to like really optimize, like that's another um, thing you would definitely want to try to reduce. Um, if you want to try to require less sleep, for example, I think that's one of the biggest things you could probably do. Um, for me, that I, in, personally for me, it's not necessarily worth it sometimes. Um, sure. And then I forget, uh, what was the, the fourth? Oh, nicotine. I had asked about nicotine. Does that yeah. have much of an effect? Um, I mean, it's a stimulant, so I just wouldn't do it close to bed, basically. Sure, sure. Um, it's interesting in terms of uh, with, with marijuana, I 
was reading about a specific, there's a cannabinoid called CBN, uh, not CBD, but CBN. I'm not even gonna uh, try to pronounce the full name of that, but I guess there's some research as far as it's, it's found more in like aged cannabis and it's, there's, there's a bit yes. of research that seems to suggest it improves deep sleep, I, I believe. No. Yeah. So this is a front, this is a new, another new frontier. And I know a couple companies that are investigating this right now. Marijuana is a very complicated substance and there's a million, there's like CBN, there's a bunch of them. Um, yeah. I know CBN. Um, and so theoretically, you could probably make a strain that doesn't have some of the negative effects. I think, uh, I think that's going to happen in the next couple of years. You mentioned uh, one of the negatives about using marijuana in terms of sleep being kind of in inhibiting REM. What is REM important for? Because we talked a lot about <laughs> the importance of deep sleep, but what, what's going on in the brain during, during REM and why is it really uh, important? So a deep sleep is the pruning of relevant information and then REM is the replaying and integrating basically. Um, so you're ba so essentially you're not going to um, take in as much information into like your episodic memory probably and long-term memory if you are inhibiting your REM. You want REM and you want deep sleep essentially um, at the expense of light sleep. Got it. Got it. Well, Daniel, we're coming up onto the end of the show. Anything that we haven't touched on related to sleep or any of the, the sleep technologies that you think would well, be I mean, useful I think, for the listeners? Yeah. I mean, right now with COVID, I think it's, there's a couple of reasons why right now is like a good time to optimize your sleep. Like we're not getting any of these environmental cues because we're not going to work anymore. I mean, and I think that's why a lot of people are having sleep problems right now. Um, you should be doing things to like stimulate your circadian rhythm during the day so that you're tired at night and you have that, you know, on off switch set. Um, and, you know, there's maybe simple things in your environment, even like I look for simple wins, like making sure it's totally dark in your bedroom, for example, like a little trick I have is just put a little thing of tape over any uh, like lights that might be on from like devices or anything like that. Um, but I like just, you know, everyone has their own peculiar sleep issues. Um, and I think it's good just to take a moment, think about your sleep environment. What can you do, do to improve it? Maybe you're waking up sweaty, you know, there's solutions for that. Um, so I think it just takes knowing where you're at and making the right steps based on that. And, you know, we can help, we can lead you on that process. And I'd, I'd be happy to follow up with, with you sometime and, and tell you all about our progress with, the, with our new research. We'll for sure do that, yeah. And it, for people who were interested in our conversation and wanna learn more about your work uh, or about um, sleep space, where would you direct them to? They can just check out sleepspace.com and we have a bunch of resources, including our top 10 tips for sleeping. You can check out the TED Talk there and a lot of other sleep science resources. Awesome. And for those of you guys who enjoyed the show today, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel where Roscoe's Wetsuit 
And you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else that audio podcasts are available. Daniel, I want to really thank you uh, for your time today and coming on the show. Really enjoyed our conversation and we'll for sure uh, be doing a follow-up episode. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thank you. Absolutely.